We are uh, in the midst of a sermon series overheard at Starbucks, those kinds of conversations that we have over coffee at Starbucks or Coffee Zone or, or wherever. And uh, you see the topics that are listed on the front of the bulletin for each of the Sundays, and we were encouraging you to invite friends and to uh, prepare mentally to have conversation uh, mentally with me as we preach this series, and I hope that you will take seriously the invitation uh, to engage uh, culture in some important conversations about life, whether it's over coffee, tea, or, or whatever. Before I read the scripture, I would like for us to take a moment and, and be in prayer together and invite you to a time of silence, to a time of being in God's presence, and then I'll voice our family prayer. Loving God, the blessings have been rich already. We have experienced your presence in powerful ways, and we ask you to continue to guide my lips, your words, the listening ears of your congregation to prepare our hearts for all that you have for us. We lift up to you the joy of life, and uh, we marvel at the sacredness of life and what a special privilege it is to be your servants, your church on earth, sharing the good news that every life matters. We pray that our church's outreach and, and every effort will be just infused with that kind of sense of, of caring and compassion, your love. We pray for, pray for your continued guidance on our upward basketball and cheer and, and all of our church's outreach and, and mission effort, for all of our mission partners. We pray today for those in military service, especially those in places of danger and those far away from home. You'll bless them and bless our their families. We ask God that you touch today the lives of those in our congregation who are suffering uh, illness, uh, difficult surgery, uh, bad news, family stress, job stress. Uh, we pray that you will bless all who suffer and help us, Lord, each of us, not only to uh, see and experience your mercy, but to be looking for places where your mercy needs to be taken. Uh, in our lives uh, as representatives of your grace. So guide our thinking and our work together. Hear our prayer, and we offer it in Christ's holy name. Amen. I want to read aloud uh, the passage from Romans, the eighth chapter, so uh, familiar to many of us. And I'm going to start reading in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 35. It will be on the screen, and I invite you to uh, reach for a Bible there with the hymnals if you want to use uh, a copy of Scripture. But I invite you to stand as I read this aloud from Romans 8, 35 and following. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's word for us. May he bless it. You may be seated. Well, I probably should begin with a confession uh, that this coffee conversation 
well, let me say it this way. The sermon title may be a stretch this morning because I'm not sure that honest conversations about suicide uh, happen at Starbucks or Coffee Zone or Dunn Brothers or anywhere else. Uh, I, I do think the other topics of this sermon series, you know, what happens when we die, what about the second coming of Christ, why are people turned off by church, I think those things get talked about. But we probably don't talk enough uh, about the issue of suicide. We uh, don't talk about it enough in our homes. We don't talk about it enough in our churches. We don't talk enough about it probably at school and many other settings. Uh, it's a tough topic. A friend of mine wrote a book several years ago when he said that suicide is a singular act with plural effect. It's an act by an individual, but it has such ripples of pain and suffering and, and for a lot of people and for a long, long time, and, and he was right. And by the way, that friend of mine is John Hewitt, and the book is After Suicide, and it's in our church library, and unfortunately, it has been used frequently over the last 15 years or so that it's been in the church library uh, as families who've dealt with the devastating reality of suicide have uh, found it very helpful, and I commend it to you um, because it's helpful in very practical ways. Uh, this part of the sermon uh, is sort of grim because I want to share with you some very startling statistics about suicide. Uh, in the United States, since 1999, each year has seen more suicides. In other words, since 1999, each year had more suicides than the last year. And another disturbing trend is that currently the age group with the largest number of suicides, ages 45 to 64, 45 to 64, a 30% increase in the number of suicides in people in that age range. I want to share with you some global statistics that, that will astound you. Uh, globally, in 2010, 883,000 plus suicides. And you understand these are probably low numbers because suicides don't always get reported. And sometimes it's not clear if it was suicide. 883,000. In, in that same year, 17,670 deaths due to war, 196,000 plus natural disasters, and 456 thousand plus murders. So if you add up all the murders, war, and natural disasters, you're still 200,000 fewer deaths than death by suicide globally in the year 2010. Well, one thing is clear. The church, if the church plans on being helpful, has to get past the stigma of suicide, has to get past uh, not talking about it and pretending like it isn't there. And culture has to do the same thing. Somebody pointed out, you know, of all the major causes of death in the nation and in the world, uh, suicide gets neglected. You never see a 5K run for suicide prevention. You never see an athlete stand up and say, the charity I'm sponsoring is suicide prevention. I mean, it's just not popular to talk, to talk about, to think about, and it's just not something we want to have to, to deal with very much. But here's a, here's a suggested modest start. What if the church 
What if the church of Jesus Christ declared that it was getting out of the judging business? What if the church announced that it was getting out of the business of judging those who've completed suicide, judging those who've attempted suicide, getting out of the business of judging as if we know what families of suicide are going through? What if we just started practicing mercy and stopped trying to pontificate and offer lame, cheesy advice and and sort of hollow words in a time of grief and loss? What if we were just a silent presence instead of pious platitudes? And what if we acknowledged there is no pain like losing a loved one to suicide and just simply acknowledge we can't know what a person who attempts or completes suicide is going through because no human being can know what another human being is experiencing. Only God can know that. We have to destigmatize mental illness generally. Uh, There's a lot that we need to uh, understand about that. Uh, For example, the other text for this morning is, is Jeremiah, the 20th chapter. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he was, he was blue sometimes. He was very down. He was very, very sensitive. He carried great burdens, and he internalized a lot of the nation's pain. I honestly believe if Jeremiah were alive today, he would be diagnosed as clinically depressed. I really believe that. That category didn't exist in the time in which he lived, but in Jeremiah 20, I want you to listen to these verses in verses 14 through the rest of the chapter Cursed be the day on which I was born. This is Jeremiah speaking, the one capable of great faith and great insight. Cursed be the day that I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A child is born to you, a son, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord withdrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come forth from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? That from the mouth of one of God's great prophets. And in Jeremiah's day, it was, it was uh, customary when a messenger brought the news of the birth of a child, uh, they had no internet, you know, they had no newspapers, and so messengers, runners, would deliver messages. And when a messenger brought news of the birth of a child to a village or a particular person, it was, it was customary to reward that messenger, much like we tip the wait staff at a restaurant or we tip someone delivering pizza. Uh, it, it was typical to reward that messenger. And Jeremiah says, no, don't reward the messenger who announced my birth. Curse that man who announced my birth. I mean, these are dark, excruciatingly dark, honest, gut-level honest statements from one of God's great prophets. Well, we don't have time this morning to talk about contributing factors to suicide attempts. I'm not a trained clinical therapist, so I'm not specifically trained in that area, but we, we do know from, from the reading and study that we do that 
uh, one author, a Christian author, she's a theologian, a graduate of Yale, a divinity school, uh, who herself suffers mental illness uh, and has written about it honestly as a Christian. Uh, her name is Catherine Green McCrate. And I can talk to you about the book after the service if you want to. And, and uh, in the uh, manuscript form of this sermon on our webpage, I'll cite the book. Um, she says that she herself has contemplated suicide. She says that ultimately suicide is a choice born of unbearable pain. Choice born of unbearable pain. Now, we don't want to oversimplify, don't want to talk about simple cause and effect when we talk about something as serious as suicide, but we do know this from, from the experts who talk to us about it, and that is that most wishes to die have their genesis in the absence of relationship. Most wishes to die have their genesis somehow in excruciating loneliness, thwarted attempts to connect, to be included. There is something life-saving about the power of relationships. There's something life-saving about the power of connecting and belonging. And that ought to have implications for any New Testament church today about how seriously we take our coffee time rather than huddled with people we've known for 20 years, having our eye out for the stranger and the newcomer, rather than huddling in our Bible study group and talking about what we did last night with people we've known forever, being sensitive to the newcomer, implications about our outreach and our community, implications far and wide for the people of God, and we don't have time to talk about that. But just to say, the genesis of most attempts uh, at suicide is found usually in loneliness, real or perceived. And now the part of uh, this sermon that, that most people ask about. Uh, can a person who completes suicide go to heaven? Is a person who takes her or his own life doomed to hell? And as I answer that, I want to remind you that there are only seven recorded incidents of suicide in the Bible. In all of those 66 books of the Bible, in this great big tome which is really a library of books, only seven reported incidents of suicide. And again, I cite those and list those in the manuscript form that will be posted on the Sermon on the Church's webpage. Won't take time with them this morning. But none of those seven reports of suicide talk about that person's eternal destination. So whatever conclusions we draw about the eternal destination of a person who completes suicide, we draw from other weight of Scripture, not from those reports. And you might say, Bible scholars out there, but what about the Gospel of John chapter 17, verse 12, where Jesus called Judas the son of perdition? And Judas, of course, hanged himself after betraying Jesus. It's true, Jesus called Judas the son of damnation or son of perdition, but I could make a case that Judas was called the son of perdition because of what he did in life, not because of what he did in death, betraying Jesus. Is suicide God's will? No. 
Is suicide God's plan for a person? No. If you've contemplated suicide, should you find a different way, a better way? Yes, because people who love you and care about you live with such an enormous amount of pain afterwards. And, and don't, don't take a long view. Baby steps. Look forward to coffee in the morning or reading the morning newspaper or doing the crossword tomorrow or calling a friend tomorrow. But don't give up. Don't quit because God loves you. But is suicide forgivable? Yes, it is. Does the work of Jesus Christ on the cross cover suicide? Of course it does. Those who say that a person who completes suicide goes to hell have a defective view of salvation because their view of salvation is, well, I commit these sins and then I have to confess those sins and get caught up and then I commit more sins so I have to confess those sins. That's not salvation, that's probation. That's, that's temporary relief. And, and by the way, that logic doesn't work. What about somebody who dies suddenly in an auto accident or dies suddenly of a heart attack, who, who die with unconfessed sin? We all will die with unconfessed sin. What about the things that we forget about? The swear word or the lying or the lust or the envy? See, Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he died on the cross, he died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. The cross of Jesus and the death of Jesus are powerful to save all our sins. Otherwise, why would it be called salvation? Why would it be called eternal life if it's just temporary? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have temporary relief. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whoever believes in him might have probation. No, eternal life. Eternal life. And that text that I read from uh, Romans chapter 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Paul lists a whole line of catastrophe candidates. Death itself, Paul says, can't separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And by the way, he mentions uh, in, in that verse, will hardship or distress, the word distress, that's translated distress in the new RSV, uh, is the Greek word from which we get our word stenosis, as in stenosis of the spine, the, the, the cramping, the crowding, the, the choking of the spinal cord that creates all kinds of pain and uh, immobility in people, stenosis. He's talking about that kind of pressure that people who have contemplated suicide describe that life becomes for them this enormous pressure. Paul says none of that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Recently, uh, I, uh, I was answering a letter from one of our church members who asked me about uh, with this loved one he cared about who had uh, taken her own life, uh, would she be in heaven? And I was, I, I reviewed my answer to his uh, request, his question before I, as I was studying to prepare the sermon. And one of the things I said to him was, God's not angry with your loved one. God cries for and with your loved one. Just as, as James said this morning to the children, God weeps. If, if we cry when someone uh, takes uh, his or her own life, 
how much more does God love that person and how God must weep, how God must cry. God's heart is broken. That's why we have to find another way to cope other than the answer of taking a life. And I love this quote by Paul Claudel. Jesus did not come to remove suffering or to explain it away. He came to fill it with his presence. He didn't come to remove suffering or even explain it away. He came to fill suffering with his presence. I have a, one of my Christmas gifts from one of my children. It was a book of blessings written by John O'Donohue, a Catholic priest whom I admire greatly for his writings and his thinking. And there is a, there's a blessing in this book, blessing loved ones and friends who've lost someone dear to suicide. And I want to share that blessing with you. I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes. And I'm not going to read the entire blessing, but I, I, want, to, I want to read O'Donohue's closing portion of that blessing upon those of us who've lost dear friends and loved ones to suicide. And may your lost loved one enter into the beauty of eternal tranquility in that place where there is no more sorrow or separation or mourning or tears. I'd like to invite you to remain with heads bowed. In just a few moments, we're going to have our response time. And I want to, I want to, do some, I want to risk something very intimate and very personal right now because I've learned in pastoring, I never completely know the heart of my people, the darkness that might be there. So I want to begin this invitation by inviting those of you who have contemplated harming yourself to trust God more deeply, to find another way, to find that baby step, that next little small thing that will give you hope through the rest of this day or until you can see that doctor or until the morning comes or until you feel better, to hang on, to reach out, to trust. I want to invite you to choose life, to choose life. And I want to invite the rest of the congregation to learn mercy, to ask God to give you a merciful, sensitive, tender heart, to connect with people deeply in relationships, to renew your commitment to building relationships for the sake of God's kingdom and his suffering people. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend him to you. We invite you to trust him to, by an act of your will to open your heart's door and, and allow him to come in. And if there's some decision you want to share publicly this morning during our response time, we invite you to come and share with us. Uh, if, there's a, if there's a church membership decision you want to make, we invite you to come. Lord, speak clearly to our hearts that your creation may be healed, we pray. Amen.